So after having this Anchor app for a couple of months now and not actually using it, I decided today is just as good as any other day to finally get into it and start using this app for what it's meant for. And what's it meant for? Well, for podcasts. And when you know it, I like to do podcasts. I've also been dragging my feet when it comes to making another episode of Jerome's Gibberish. So let's just call this Jerome's Gibberish episode number one, at least when it comes to using this Anchor app, which already is ten times more convenient than the other way I used to have to do my podcast. But we won't get into that. What we were going to get into, ladies and gentlemen, is professional wrestling. More specifically for this podcast, the WWE. The state of WWE right now, the greatest Royal Rumble event that they just had, that's going to be the main focus And, uh, yeah, I'm just going to get right into it. Starting off with this Greatest Royal Rumble event. Um, I was excited, I'm not going to lie, when this Greatest Royal Rumble was first announced. Just because the Royal Rumble is my favorite wrestling match of the year. Because of that that feeling every year of, you you never know who's going to come out next. There's always going to be surprises. The crowd's usually super into it, and it's a match type that was invented by Pat Patterson for the WWE. It's like the Battle Royal that they've had for years and years and years, but they changed it with having two people start off in the ring, and then every set amount of time, 90 seconds, two minutes, another person comes out, and you don't know who it's going to be, and people staving off elimination. Kofi Kingston always does something superhuman every year. It's just it's It's my favorite event of the year. For, for many, many reasons. And so when they announced that they were going to have one with 50 people in it, I'm like, 50 men Royal Rumble? That's going to be 10 men more than the one they had back in, I think it was 2011, when they upped it to 40 people, which gave you 10 more chances to have surprises. That's how I looked at it. So I'm like, 50 man Royal Rumble. But then I looked further into it and realized they were having this event in Saudi Arabia. I'm like, oh, here we go. So you look further into it and you realize... There's not going to be any surprises, or if there are going to be any surprises, is the Saudi crowd really going to appreciate it? You know what I mean? So I decided just to see what was going to happen and wait for the show. And when the show actually aired, which here on the East Coast was at, I think it was noon on a Friday afternoon, I was watching Avengers Infinity War. So I didn't get to see this live, but I watched it as soon as I got home. And to be honest with you, I fast-forwarded to the end of every match before the Rumble match itself because I pretty much knew how every match was going to go. And unfortunately, they went exactly as I had predicted. So that's not a good thing because I predicted these matches were going to be short for the most part, uneventful, and the crowd probably wasn't going to be into it nearly as much as... I'm not just going to say an American crowd, but just crowds in other countries besides the U.S. They could have picked a much better place in Saudi Arabia to have this event. I don't know why they're choosing to do it. I don't know if they're trying to pluck some prodigy from Saudi Arabia and they want to foster international relationships or whatever you want to call it. But uh, let's just let's let's address the the elephant in the room. Okay, there were no women's matches on this card at the Greatest Royal Rumble. Because the kingdom of Saudi Arabia has very, very strict laws against what women can and cannot do. So when it came to having a WWE show, 
there were not going to be any women on the card. So no women's matches, no women's battle royal, no women's tag matches, no women's title matches, no women at all. But ironically enough, I was informed that uh, one of the caveats for anybody who wanted to get close tickets to see this show in the arena, if you wanted seats close to the ring, you needed to have either a woman or child in your party. Why? To give the impression that it's still a family-friendly show where everybody's welcome, women and children. Yeah, you can be having them in the crowd. Look at it. Look at all these women and children around the ring, even though there's no women in the ring. But, uh, you know, it is what it is, and I'm sure the women would have loved to have matches out there. I would have loved to see them, as would any avid wrestling fan, because the women have made so many strides over the last... Uh, just in this last year alone, but over the last five years, it's really picked up and women have started to have matches in the WWE that last longer than three minutes that aren't the matches that people see. It's like, oh, time to go time to go to the bathroom, time to go refill my soda, my popcorn. No, people actually want to stay and watch the women's matches because the women have now been given time to show everybody what they can do and they are just as good, if not better, than the men. They are better than the men in many aspects I've seen many women's matches that blew any men's match on that card out of the water. You know what I mean? You just have to give them time and let them do what they do and watch them perform. Like, wow, these women actually can wrestle. Yes, they can. And anybody who was a hardcore, avid wrestling fan already knows that going into it. But, you know, you had to respect the, the rules of the country. And I guess WWE didn't want to ruffle any feathers. And who knows? Maybe this is the first step towards fostering a relationship or down the line, maybe you do get to have that first women's match in Saudi Arabia, which could help break down barriers for maybe any female wrestling fans in, or potential wrestling hopefuls in Saudi Arabia that actually want to get into wrestling. Maybe this is showing them, hey, you, you got a shot here. But uh, getting to the event itself, this was held at the King Abdullah International Stadium in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. This is, a, this is an open-air stadium that seats 60,000. The seating layout was kind of weird. You still had the, the general stadium wraparound seating, but when it came down to by the ringside, you had there was so much more space they could have had seats around the ring. Like if this was in the US, it probably would have seated another I'd say another ten, maybe fifteen thousand easy with all that empty space. But I don't know why they had the layout like that. This is what happens, basically. Well, let's just get right down to it. This Greatest Royal Rumble event, it was, I think, like a 10-match card. This was a live event. This was a glorified live event. And this is what happens when you take a live event with the live event, you know, setup that WWE uses, and you put it in the 60,000-seat stadium. Yes, the entryway, I loved how the, uh, the Titantron looked behind everybody when they were coming out. And, you know, the WWE still had the interactive walkway when they're walking down. But other than that, there wasn't much decoration in said arena. For an arena of that size in WWE to hold a show in there, it seemed pretty... It wasn't decorated. So I'm like, well, this is just a glorified live event. That's what this is. I mean, the only way we saw it stateside was seeing it on the network. So anybody who didn't have the network either had to watch it at a friend's house or wait for the spoilers afterwards or find somebody streaming it that wasn't supposed to be or something like that. So, I mean, you weren't going to see this on broadcast television. And the the main point of this show was to get to that 50-man Royal Rumble and all the matches leading up to it were just, you know, filler material. 
And this show dragged on for quite a while from start to finish. But let's get down to the actual match breakdown. The first match of the show was John Cena and Triple H. And I'm not going to lie, the crowd was actually hot for this one. I think uh, Triple H and John Cena, being the seasoned veterans that they are, carry a lot of weight going into their matches, and there's no way they were strangers to this Saudi crowd. So it still went exactly how I thought it was going to go. They traded finishers for a while, and Super Cena showed up from out of nowhere, hit Triple H with an AA, I think multiple times, and then finally got the win. And then he took the time to thank the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia for their hospitality and stuff like that. And I think that was definitely WWE or Vince driven. Like, hey, you got to show him some gratitude out there. It's probably a big code of honor or respect or whatever you want to call it. Still think it's pretty hypocritical that they want so much respect, but don't have any women doing a lot of things that women over here probably take for granted because you should be able to take it for granted because they're basic human rights. But anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. Um, so seem to thank the crowd for uh, their hospitality and things of that nature. Getting on to the next match, we had Cedric Alexander against Kalisto for the Cruiserweight Championship. This match actually went just over 10 minutes. I couldn't believe it. Uh, the crowd, however, this is... I know it was an open-air stadium, and when you get an open-air stadium like that, a lot of the sound escapes. And you're like, why is the crowd so dead? And even if they are cheering way in the back, the, the sound doesn't make it to the ring. You don't hear it when you're at home. The sound just goes up in the air. And since it's open air, it's not even going to have the chance to reverberate back down. It just goes up into the sky and it's lost. But So that's when you have to look at the actual reactions of the crowd. Are they making anything that looks like a visible ooh or ah? Are people standing up, cheering, clapping? And I saw none of that for a match that on 205 Live would at least get the occasional ooh and ah. There was nothing from this crowd. I'm like, ah, this is what this crowd's going to be like the rest of the night. I can see it right there. It's like John Cena and Triple H. They would have cheered like that for no matter who came out first, and then they're just going to coast through the rest of the show. That's exactly what it was. But Cedric Alexander uh, countered Kalisto's Salidas del Sol and turned it into a Lombard check, retained the Cruiserweight Championship. Next match was a uh, telegraphed finish from the start. Bray Wyatt and Matt Hardy over the bar. Sheamus and Cesaro for the vacant Raw Tag Team Championships. And I, it pains me to think of what they have done with Sheamus and Cesaro after... The whole build to them becoming a tag team when Mick Foley put them together and they were begrudgingly a tag team and they eventually started to learn to like each other and they started to get matching gear and now they have an entrance that includes both of their music and they have a team name and to fall to where they are right now, they had a match this past WrestleMania where they lost to Braun Strowman and a kid. So they lost to Braun Strowman. It's a two-on-one handicap match. Braun runs through him. Okay. I, I mean, I can get that. Braun's supposed to be a monster. He's going to run right through him. But then they uh, they get moved to SmackDown. But they're still going to have a match for the vacant Raw Tag Team Championships at this Greatest Royal Rumble. Let's see. Bray Wyatt and Matt Hardy are on Raw. Sheamus and Cesaro are not. Where do you think the Raw Tag Team Championships are going to go? I'd say with the team on Raw, and wouldn't you know it, Bray Wyatt and Matt Hardy defeated Sheamus and Cesaro to win the vacant WWE Raw Tag Team Championship. Kind of takes the air right out of your sails, the wind out of your sails, the air out of your balloon, whatever that saying is, when 
even somebody who doesn't watch wrestling but can understand the basic gist of, hey, these guys are on this show, these guys are on that show, the Raw Tag Team Championships are not going to go to SmackDown unless the SmackDown ones were going to Raw, and that wasn't going to happen, so you already know who was going to win. And they did in just under nine minutes. Next match, Jeff Hardy, the newly crowned U.S. champion Jeff Hardy, defeated, once again, a telegraphed conclusion, Jinder Mahal, who just got moved to Raw. Jinder went to Raw. Jeff Hardy won the U.S. title from him on Raw and then showed up the next night on SmackDown with said U.S. title. Like, oh, Jeff Hardy's on SmackDown with a U.S. title. U.S. title is now on SmackDown. What a surprise. Jinder Mahal was not going to win the U.S. title because if he did so, he would have brought the U.S. title back with him to Raw and Seth Rollins is already on Raw with the Intercontinental Championship and you're not going to have both secondary belts, secondary singles belts, being the Intercontinental and U.S., on the same show. So you knew Jeff Hardy was going to retain, and he did, with a swanton bomb. Next up, talking about another tag team that's been horribly, horribly handled in the past couple of weeks, if not months, the Usos. One of my current favorite tag teams, one of my favorite tag teams, they will go down as one of my favorite tag teams of all time who finally got their main card match, their first main card match after like five undercard WrestleMania matches in a row. And they lost to the Bludgeon Brothers then, and they lost to the Bludgeon Brothers again at the Greatest Royal Rumble in just over five minutes in what was a glorified squash match. I don't know what the payoff is supposed to be for this. We've had weeks now where they do the stupid break up the tag team and have them do singles matches. They did Luke Harper, and I think it was Jimmy one week, and then Eric Rowan and Jay the next week. It just led to nothing, especially since Naomi has now thrown herself into this mix where, you know, the Usos say, don't come out there. We, we don't want you getting hurt. Don't come out there. And she promises not to come out, but, of course, she comes out to try to, you know, help her real-life husband and brother-in-law. And they had to, you know, put that storyline on hold because there were going to be no women involved whatsoever at this Greatest Royal Rumble, so it ended up being just a straight-up match, and the Usos, once again, just got squashed. So I don't know what the payoff is supposed to be to this, and I still, I understand they're trying to push the Bludgeon Brothers as, you know, mini Braun Strowmans, as, as monsters. I love Luke Harper, and if you look at Luke Harper now compared to when he first came in, this is the best shape he's been in in his life, by far, at least, that I've seen him in. Like, he looks like an absolute beast. Even Rowan has lost quite a bit of weight. And I get that they're supposed to be strong and go over. And uh, they're supposed to be that. But when I look at them, I still see them as the Wyatt family with Bray Wyatt that lost their wow factor when they started losing every feud they got in when they used to be with Bray Wyatt. So, yeah, they took him off TV for a while. You thought Luke Harper was going to get a singles run and that Eric Rowan was going to get released from the company. I think Luke Harper was even saying he he was looking forward to finally getting a singles run or singles push or whatever. Like, he, he enjoyed his time being in the Wyatt family with Eric Rowan, but he wanted to be able to do stuff by himself. He got that for maybe like a month. I don't know if he got injured or something like that, pulled back off TV, and then he comes back once again with Rowan. Separate from the Wyatt family moniker, but it's still him and Rowan. I still see them as the Wyatt family. I see them as what they should have been in the Wyatt family when it comes to their dominance. And now they're getting it now instead of getting it before. You see, this stuff is usually supposed to happen the other way around. 
you start off as a big bruiser or whatever that's squashing people left and right in enhancement matches a la Braun Strowman. Then eventually somebody with an actual name maybe beats you for the first time and you start that aura starts to wear off. It happens to everybody. Going all the way back to Ludwig Borga in 1993 or, or Ryback. They start squashing local talent and then eventually somebody who actually is on the roster and not just a local guy they picked up when they went to the town beats them some way or another. And then the aura starts to wear off like, hey, look, they're just a regular guy like everybody else. Well, they did it the opposite with Harper and Rowan. They had them start off being already tarnished, if you will. And now they get repackaged as people that can squash everybody and, and no-sell super kicks and splashes and even get hit with their own hammers. Like, they're getting, like, Undertaker treatment. This is insane. And they're doing it at the expense of the Usos and the New Day, two of my favorite teams out there. And I, re- I just really, really don't know what they're doing in the tag division in both Raw and SmackDown right now. I love Bray Wyatt and Matt Hardy. Love them both. Don't get me wrong there. I love Woken Matt, Broken Matt, everything he's doing. I hope they just keep letting him expand with that. Bray Watts actually doing something, being with Matt Hardy now. I have no problem with him being the champs. I just really wish Sheamus and Cesaro could have a much better send-off than they got. But now I'm going off on a tangent. So let me get to the next match. Uh, the match that I think was the best match on this card when it came to spots and high-flying moments and Stuff that the crowd really should have gotten into, but once again, it wasn't just because you couldn't hear the sound because it was an open-air stadium. It's because the crowd was unappreciative, not unappreciative, but they just didn't show how much they appreciated it. I see a match like this, and like this crowd doesn't deserve this match. This country doesn't deserve this this event. I'm talking about Seth Rollins retaining his championship in, in a uh, fatal four-way ladder match, also involving Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, and The Miz. You talk about four of the best in WWE right now. The Miz, for a couple of years there, I thought, oh boy, if they're not doing anything with him, he's disgruntled, or at least his character looks disgruntled. He wasn't picking up any big wins. He wasn't winning any titles. He couldn't even draw heat. He wasn't getting heat anymore. He wasn't doing any more promos. I'm like, this is it. He's eventually going to get released, and it was a good run while it lasted. But these past couple of years, Miz is back 100% in full force, and Hotter than ever, to the point where he's now like he'll, he'll let the crowd act like they're on his side and act like he's you know happy when they clap for him and doing stuff and singing along and then just like that, just one snap of the finger, he'll say something about the city or town they're in, and all of a sudden they remember, hey, we're supposed to hate this guy again. Like when you can do that, when you can get the crowd to love you and hate you at 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 the flick, just like that, just flip that switch. That's when you know you're really, really special talent. Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, three of the best workers, the best in-ring workers that exist on the planet. Now, ever, will ever be. You can put those three in any era. They would fit right in with whatever style, any kind of opponent. Three of the best. And then The Miz, obviously, I already talked about him. So that was a great ladder match. Uh, the crowd didn't deserve that ladder match. These people were put. These guys were putting their, they were putting their lives on the line in this match. Ladder matches always make me cringe, because you know there's going to be high bumps off that ladder. 
and people probably aren't going to land right half the time, and you're usually landing on the edge of the ring where it's the hardest. The least amount of give is at the edge of that ring on their apron. And uh, I've just seen one too many spills people have taken on ladders, so I always have a special affinity for competitors that compete in ladder matches because it's a very, very tough match. But Seth Rollins retained to a lackluster reaction, but Seth Rollins still the Intercontinental Champion. Moving on to another match that was, well, on paper should have been the best, AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura. Shinsuke turning heel at WrestleMania after not defeating AJ for the title, which I love, by the way, because now Shinsuke gets to be even more brutal with those knees, these blatant low blows. But I kind of had a feeling, well, number one, that AJ was going to retain and uh, that Shinsuke was going to do something, I thought, maybe to get disqualified. But instead, it ended up being a double countout after a nice low blow and they were brawling outside the ring and AJ <clears throat> gets a phenomenal forearm on Shinsuke off the top or over the top rope afterwards. But that's just going to continue that feud. I'm still waiting for the match that I know they can put on, which was the match they had at Wrestle Kingdom 10 right before both of them came to WWE. That's the match they need to eventually have. I don't care what pay-per-view they have it at. I don't care when it happens. But that match needs to happen because the WWE Universe that have never seen what they can both fully do when they're told, hey, here's 25, 30 minutes, go out, do whatever you want. Just here's who's going over. And I don't care who goes over. Just give them the time to, to paint that mi- picture. And if you've never seen that match at Wrestle Kingdom 10 between AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakanura, you watch that match and you'll see what I'm talking about. You'll be like, wow, people in WWE that only know WWE, they don't look outside WWE, Anybody that comes in from outside, they don't take the time to, to know what they are or where they came from or any of their body of work. Kind of like Vince McMahon, they need to see that match. And then you'll see what people can actually do when they're at their absolute best, 100% on their game, 100% chemistry with that guy, 100% twust, twust, trust with that guy you're standing across the ring from. Because when you're in a wrestling match, you're putting your life into the, the other guy's hand. You're trusting them to protect you and you protect yourself as much as you can, and vice versa. That's why I, I always like people like Bret Hart, who took pride in the fact that nobody ever got seriously injured in any match he ever had with them, because he was such a good worker and able to protect his opponent as much as he protected himself in every move that looked just as real, but you protect your opponent. And you, you work with, your, with somebody enough times, you get the timing right, you both fully trust each other, that's when you're going to have the five-star match. Because you know you're going to go for the big move or the big mood salt, and the other guy's going to be able to catch you properly. He's going to be able to take the right bump. He's going to be in the right spot when you're doing the right thing. So there is no botch. You don't get tripped up. And it's just a beautiful match. It's a beautiful story. That's what AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura can put on with anybody. So especially with each other. And hopefully that match will happen sometime down the line, the match that everybody deserves. But... They thought they'll double count out, and this will just keep continuing the current feud they have going on, which I love. It's fantastic. And we had The Undertaker. I think he's like 53 years old now. i got to tell you, he, he, for a 53-year-old, he's looking and moving great, even compared to when he lost to Brock Lesnar a couple years back at WrestleMania 30, which I thought was like the lowest point in Undertaker's career as far as in-ring work was concerned. Not, I mean, still The Undertaker, obviously, but he just looked sluggish and slow afoot in that match, almost like he wasn't 100%. And I was thinking after Brock beat him, like, maybe that was it. 
Maybe that was going to be the last one. He, he got defeated, and that was going to be that. But then he took some time off. He came back, had that nice program with Brock at SummerSlam, a couple things after that. Like, that's the Undertaker I remember. So he had to be going through something physically, mentally, emotionally. But uh, for a 53-year-old who usually wrestles just once a year now, he looked really good in this match against Rusev with Aiden English. And, ah, oh, Rusev, you want to talk about somebody who needs to have a title around his waist right now. I don't care if it's one of the world titles or secondary or even a tag. Rusev and Aiden English could could easily be tag team champions. Do you? People don't realize how over Rusev and the Rusev Day thing is. It 100% got over organically to the point where I don't even think Vince expected it to get over as organically as it has. Rusev Day t-shirts, Rusev Day calendars, the whole crowd chanting it. Aiden English is now over just for singing this Rusev Day thing. It, it it started from nonsense, and now the crowd can't get enough of it. And Rusev now is hotter than he ever was. It, it has ever been. And they're doing nothing with him. I mean, obviously, he got this match against Undertaker. But for a while, it was speculated after a tweet or whatever, depending on who you talk to. Because Rusev originally got taken out of this match. And it was going to be Undertaker-Jericho. And I thought Rusev was going to be in the Royal Rumble instead. And then all of a sudden they, they twist it, and now Rusev's back in the match. You knew Undertaker was going to go over. There's no way Rusev was going to beat Undertaker. I mean, if he was, it would have been a huge upset. But I don't, once again, even if that happened, the crowd wouldn't have been stunned into silence. They would have been bored into silence because apparently they just acted bored for the majority of this, this live event. That's what this is, a glorified live event. But Undertaker won after putting both Rusev and Aiden English in the casket. And then we get to the last singles match before the Royal Rumble itself. Brock Lesnar with Paul Heyman over Roman Reigns in a steel cage. And it went exactly how I thought it was going to go. Brock beats the hell out of Roman 95% of the match. And Roman fires up, gets some Superman punches off, gets some spears. The ending didn't go. I mean, I thought Brock was going to retain, but I didn't think it was going to happen the way it did with Roman spearing Brock through the cage, and they both land on the outside. Now, if you're getting technical, just as they said in the beginning of the match, it's whatever superstar has both feet touched, both feet touch the floor first, escaping the cage either over the top or going through the door or through the fence would be the winner. Now, Brock Lesnar's back hit the ground first because he got speared through the cage, but when it comes to two feet actually hitting the ground... Both of Roman's feet hit the ground first because he rolled off of Brock and then hit the bare ground one foot. Then the next foot, Brock was still laying on his back on the cage wall that he'd just been speared through. So his feet were not touching, quote-unquote, the ground. But, of course, they found a nice caveat in that and had to cover for themselves and act like, well, you know, Brock's back hit the ground first and the ref's saying it it still counts, so we just got to go with the ref's ruling. That was Vince screaming do whatever it takes to make sure Brock still wins because Brock's supposed to win even if his feet didn't touch and blah, 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 blah. Must be nice to be able to just rewind it and, and reset the story however you want to. Well, I guess that's what happens when you own a multi-million dollar company. But yeah, Brock Lesnar over Roman Reigns. And uh, I don't know if this is supposed to make Roman look like the ultimate underdog or if the fact that Brock re-signed with WWE is what is keeping Roman Reigns from winning said title because I think we all know if Brock had signed with UFC, there's no way he would have left WrestleMania as champion or a very slim chance. But I think because he's still with the company, maybe he told Vince, hey, I'm going to stay with you guys instead of going to UFC. 
but I still want to be on top for either a little while longer or until I tell you I want to drop the belt. That's the deal. And if you want me to sign this contract, that's what we're going to have to do. And Vince is probably like, all right. And maybe that's why he's still having Brock as champion. I don't think Vince has the, not to say the foresight, but everybody thought it was a foregone conclusion that Roman was going to beat Brock in WrestleMania. I, I admitted that myself. I thought well, there's absolutely no way that Brock is going to retain at WrestleMania. They had him hold the title for an entire year, had him beat everybody in that year with just one, F, one F5 showing, hey, just takes one F5 for me to beat anybody. So that when Roman kicked out of the F5, it was like, he kicked out of the F5. They brought it up to mythical heights like the Hogan leg drop. So it took six F5s to, to beat Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. Like, oh, look how tough he is or whatever. But it was, I don't think Vince had the foresight to actually do that just because the crowd thought it was a foregone conclusion. I don't think he swerved us to swerve us. I think he made the decision because Brock re-signed and he's like, hey, it's probably going to be better or more believable having Roman chase Brock for the title than the other way around. So let's milk this into even more pay-per-views and see how far it can go. And the side effect of that was the quote-unquote swerve of him actually retaining instead of Roman going over. But whatever, that's just me conjecturing, you know. And... uh now let's get on to the actual 50-man greatest Royal Rumble match, which, by the way, the prize for this wasn't a, wasn't a match at SummerSlam or anything like that. It was a trophy and a green, an ugly green title belt. Now, if this is going to turn into an annual thing where they have this greatest Royal Rumble, I sure as hell hope they don't keep having it in Saudi Arabia because, you know, with the trophy there, it looked like a... Like the Andre the Giant trophy, that's something they get every year. So if this is going to be an annual thing, they got to bring it somewhere else next year, somewhere with a more lively crowd. If you want to do it overseas, fine. Pick pick somewhere in Europe, you know. Do England. England usually has hot crowds. Do Germany. Do Australia. Do Japan. Don't do Saudi Arabia. Please, 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 please don't do Saudi Arabia. Anyway, let's get to the actual Greatest Royal Rumble match, going over the entrance and... Uh, how long they lasted, and what kind of an impact they made, including who made, well, I thought, well, what everybody thought, was, without a shadow of a doubt, the greatest, <laughs> the biggest impact of the night, and it happened in this match, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Uh, entrant number one, Daniel Bryan. And when you see the first and second entrants come out in a Royal Rumble, you usually know one, if not both of them, are going to have strong showings. Maybe not elimination-wise, but just by sticking around. Like, one of them is going to be usually be the quote-unquote workhorse. The one that's going to be around for a really long time and uh, just work a really, really long match and be that anchor to show longevity and endurance. You've, every World Rumble has one. This one was Daniel Bryan. He was the number one entrant. He was in the match longer than anybody else. One hour, 16 minutes, 16 seconds. He got three eliminations. And he was there all the way until the end. Like, when number 50 came out, Daniel Bryan was still in the match. So, what what else does that say? You know, Daniel Bryan, Cinderella story. Someone who I thought was legit never going to wrestle in WWE again because I thought WWE was never going to clear him. I thought he was going to wait for his contract to be up. And then finally, 
go to Ring of Honor or New Japan and do what he loved and get a cult following once again because I was going to follow him no matter where he went. But I think WWE felt the pressure of, hey, this guy's leaving. That's our meal ticket. Not meal ticket, but that's a big source of revenue because his merchandise sells and everybody loves him. And if he's going to be wrestling again and we can't make any money off it, that could be a big blow. So we got to clear this guy before he leaves in September. And I think that's what they did. And, well, I'm happy. The WWE Universe is happy. Everybody's happy. Because Daniel Bryan coming back after three years makes me optimistic that maybe Paige gets to come back at some time, too. Because uh, her career just got cut short, even though she's now the new general manager of SmackDown. And I'm so happy for her that she's got a role, but Absolution died. It died. That faction died the second Sasha Banks got that kick off to the back of Paige's... Uh, Neck. Absolution is now dead in the water. But anyway, Daniel Bryan was the first entrant. Dolph Ziggler, number two. So a SmackDown guy and a Raw guy. Dolph was throwing out super kicks like they were hotcakes, okay? He was in anybody and everybody. He was in the match for just over 20 minutes. Only got two eliminations, but so many of his the eliminations or people getting eliminated were set up by his super kicks, even if he wasn't the one throwing them up over the top. So Dolph Ziggler was... uh was the number two entrant. Sin Cara, number three. Well, this is already when I realized that if there were going to be any surprises in this Royal Rumble, there weren't going to be any big surprises. I'm like, look, it's 50 people with no surprises. That means they're going to have to take tag teams and put both individual members in. That's two spots you can already take away. And they're going to take people that normally are lucky if they even get live event time, like Sin Cara, and they're going to be in the match too. So he was number three. He lasted one out, one minute and 18 seconds before being eliminated by Dolph. So, the, what I mean, what does that tell you? Dolph Ziggler got eliminated by Kurt Angle, but that was uh, still 20 minutes in. Daniel Bryan gets eliminated by Big Cass at the very end of the match to continue their storyline of Big Cass being mad at Daniel Bryan because he reminds him of him when he was younger or some BS like that. I, I, I don't hate a strong word, but I hate Big Cass. I hate his character. I hate it. I hate his generic theme music. I hate his Empire elbow. Uh, I hate the gimmick. I guess I don't. I don't hate the guy personally. You know what I mean? I hate the idea of quote unquote big cast. And even though he he seems to have good of enough of a promo when he can just stay angry, because if you want the truth out of somebody, you piss them off first. It's an age old trick. You want to know how somebody truly thinks about something or whatever? Get them mad first. And I'm not saying punch them in the face or whatever, but when somebody's mad, that's when they're going to tell you the truth. That's when they're going to tell you even maybe even more than you they wanted to say, and that's when they get apologetic afterwards, like, I didn't mean what I said or whatever. And then it's like, well, did you really not mean what you said? It's when somebody's mad that they can... You get Selton Benjamin mad, send him out there and cut a promo. He's going to cut a good promo because he's pissed off. You know what I mean? You take anybody who's even considered, quote-unquote, not a good promo, and they get so mad, they don't care who's watching them, they don't care who's whatever, they just want to get their message out, and Big Cass's character is mad at Daniel Bryan for no legit reason. Daniel Bryan actually didn't do anything to him. So I'm interested to see where this program is actually going to go. But he's who eliminated Daniel Bryan to continue that storyline. Number four, Curtis Axel, now free from The Miz. But uh, he lasted a solid two minutes. 
before being eliminated by the next entrant, Mark Henry, who is, I guess, listed as a free agent because I think he's just on his way out the door. Once again, Mark Henry doesn't, he doesn't do anything on TV anymore. They just, hey, Mark, you're going to be in the Greatest Royal Rumble. You're going to be in for three minutes and 27 seconds, and we'll have you eliminate three people. He's like, okay. So that's what he did. Entry number six, Mike Kanellis. When his music hit, I legit forgot he was even with WWE. His wife Maria just gave birth, I think, a couple months ago. So that's why she's been off TV, and I figured maybe he's off TV and he got, like, paternity leave or something like that. But apparently he's still with the show. He's on the Raw brand, and he got eliminated the second he stepped into the ring in three seconds by Mark Henry. So, I mean, you get all your wrestling gear, you travel, like, 16 hours over to Saudi Arabia to be to wait, like, five and a half hours finally for your name to be called, and you're done in three seconds. Why'd they even make him put on his gear? It's just... I don't know, is it punishment maybe? Is he getting punished for something? I've heard rumors that the reason he's not getting any kind of a push or even TV time is that Vince doesn't think he's doing enough in the gym to quote-unquote take care of himself and that he thought he showed up out of shape and not up to Vince's standards, but I don't know, that's just the water cooler talk. But three seconds in the Greatest Royal Rumble, I don't know what you're going to get out of that. He even tweeted talking about, somebody must have said something. He's like, look, I'm... Billions of, millions of people love to work for WWE. A bunch of people in WWE would love that are in WWE would love to be on the main roster. I'm in WWE right now on the main roster on the Raw brand. It's like, but somehow I'm still being like held back or something like that or not being used properly. He's like, please tell me how that works. Hashtag perspective. And people are saying, yeah, we're saying we're pissed that you're not getting booked better. Like we know it's not your fault. And obviously you're a member of WWE and you're looking at the bright side from different perspective. Yeah, you're on the main roster. Yeah, you're happy to be there. But this is your fans telling you, you might be happy to be there, but we're unhappy that you're there and we never get to see you do anything because we've seen what you do, what you've done on the independent circuit, what you did in your stint in Impact Wrestling, and they're doing absolutely nothing with you. And you are the case of, for all the good things that WWE does, they do the stuff like this to Mike Kanellis. Who, by the way, is a phenomenal talent. But you wouldn't know that because you've probably seen him for a grand total of, including these three seconds, um, three seconds of TV time. Then number seven was the first quote-unquote surprise entrant. A guy I had to look up because, look, listen, I've been a WWE fan my entire life. I had no idea who this guy was. Hiroki Sumi who I guess is a sumo wrestler. I don't think he's even signed to WWE, but for some reason he got put in this match. He comes running out. He does his sumo stance and everything, and then he gets eliminated by Mark Henry in 46 seconds. What was the point? Don't know. Don't know. Once again, I don't know. Uh, number eight, Victor from The Ascension. Yeah, I mean, you already know where this is going. 51 seconds later, up and over the top rope by Daniel Bryan. Next up, Kofi Kingston. Now, five, okay, somebody else actually high profile who we haven't had, let's be honest, since Dolph Ziggler at number two. And he lasted for 16 minutes and 34 seconds before being eliminated by Elias, but he got an elimination himself, so Kofi did what Kofi does. Then we go to Tony Nese at number 10. I don't even think the, the, the crowd in, in Saudi Arabia knew who Tony Nese was. Like, oh, look who this guy is. He came in, he... Got eliminated by Kofi and Xavier Woods. I think he got one of his own eliminations. He, he needs somebody in the face. I can't remember who it was. He lasted just over seven minutes. And off to the back you go. Well, number 11, Dash Wilder. One half of the revival. 
one of the hottest tag teams in NXT when they were this past year, before they got called up, or two years ago, and they have done absolutely nothing on uh, on Monday Night Raw. Nothing. I mean, they got hampered by injuries. One of them uh, tore their bicep. They were out for an extended period of time. Another guy hurt his jaw. I think Dash hurt his jaw first. So they've had collectively like probably a year worth of non-TV time. But I don't know if Vince just doesn't have faith in them or whatever, but they haven't done anything. And it didn't help at the Greatest Royal Rumble because he was gone in a minute and 26 seconds. Thanks for coming, Dash. And the only and another another surprise at number twelve, Hornswoggle. And are you kidding me? Hornswoggle? Who? What? I, I all I could do was sigh. Hornswoggle came out like he's gonna do one like stupid thing. He got somebody up on his shoulders. And gave them a, uh, probably the easiest bump they ever took in their life. Because he lifted them like maybe six inches off the ground. And then he was gone. That's, yeah, Tony Nese. That's, Tony Nese need him in the face when he was already out on the apron. And he was gone in a minute. See you later, Hornswoggle. Next up, number 13, Primo Cologne. I forgot Primo was still in the company. I forgot Primo and Epico are still in the company. You know why? Because they don't get used at all. But when you need a 50-man Royal Rumble and you need to just fill people up, like, hey, Primo, you're coming to Saudi Arabia so you can be gone in five minutes and ten seconds. And that's what happened. Next up, Xavier Woods. Uh, he hung around for a little bit, just under ten minutes. He got eliminated by Elias. Next up was Bo Dallas. Another half of the... I don't know if we call him the Miz Taraj anymore because they're not with the Miz. Miz is on SmackDown now. And I'm scared of what's going to happen to them because neither of them are... Uh, I mean... Bo Dallas is a pretty good heel promo when he was doing the whole Bo Leaf thing, but I'm scared that with Miz gone, they're both going to get lost in the shuffle or split up and become singles guys again, and just they had to have nothing for him. But he lasted a whopping minute and 34 seconds before being eliminated by Kurt Angle. Speaking of Kurt Angle, he was the next one out at number 16, just under eight minutes. He got a, three eliminations before being eliminated by Elias. 17, the other half of the revival, Scott Dawson, he hung around for... Just under 12 minutes before he got, elimin- got no eliminations and got eliminated by Bobby Roode. Next up, Gold Dust at number 18. He got eliminated by Bobby Roode just over 10 minutes. Connor from the Ascension. Uh, lasted a little longer than Victor because Victor was just under a minute. Connor got at least 2 minutes and 25 seconds. No eliminations. Thrown over the top by Elias. Speaking of Elias, he was number 20. I believe he had the second longest time in the match. Then you're buying an hour and 16. Elias did 34 minutes. Yep, he was the second longest in the Rumble. So him and Daniel Bryan can be considered the quote-unquote workhorses when it came to time in the ring. He got five eliminations before being eliminated by Bobby Lashley himself. It's obvious that there's big plans for Elias. And it's always good when you see somebody getting a push and you know they deserve the push. And Elias is another guy. He's such a good heel that it's starting to become uh, more popular to cheer him than to boo him. And he does it every night. He comes out. He asks who wants to walk with him. He's the, the, the crowd is is eating his every word. And then he'll say something about the town. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, we're supposed to hate this guy again. And just like that, just like I said about The Miz, Elias has that same quality where he can be such a good heel 
that you want to cheer him even when he's telling you, even when he's telling you, you're supposed to boo me. I hate you. And you're still cheering for it. So that's Elias. Uh, next up was Luke Gallows at 21. He got no eliminations, but he got to stick around for just over nine minutes before being eliminated by Rey Mysterio. Next up was Rhino. Um, he hung around for 16 minutes before being eliminated by eliminated, sorry, by Roderick Strong. Then you had Drew Gulak, which I, once again I bet five people knew who he was because he's on 205 Live. He was just under two minutes, and he got eliminated by Tucker Knight, who was the next Tucker Knight. By the way, one half of Heavy Machinery from NXT. Of all the people you're going to take from NXT and fly them over to Saudi Arabia to be a part of this thing, you had Tucker Knight. Tucker Knight? He's just so generic. And I guarantee, like, even hardcore WWE fans probably didn't know who he was because you got the people that watch Raw or SmackDown and they don't know a thing about NXT. So they wouldn't even know who he was. But he hung around for just over 10 minutes. Got an elimination of his own, Drew Gulak. Then he got eliminated by Biggie. Uh, next up was Bobby Roode at 25. Halfway through, or halfway through, he got two eliminations himself. He stayed around for just under 18 minutes. And then he got eliminated by Baron Corbin. 26, Fandango, which guarantees once you see a Fandango, you're going to get Tyler Breeze at some point. Fandango was in 3 minutes 42 seconds, eliminated by Mojo Rawley. Chad Gable who's now split from Shelton Benjamin, comes out. 8 minutes, 17 seconds, eliminated by Apollo Crews. 28, Rey Mysterio, who would have been a surprise if he wasn't already announced ahead of time that, hey, he's going to be in the Rumble. Hung around for 20 minutes, 25 seconds, got his own elimination, and then eliminated by Baron Corbin. 29, Mojo Rawley, and a hush falls over the crowd for a good reason. Sticks around for 8 minutes, 52 seconds, eliminated by Randy Orton. No harm, no foul. Number 30, Tyler Breeze. Oh, who would have called that? Eliminated by Mojo Rawley in 16 seconds. It's criminal what they're doing to Breezango. Tyler Breeze and Fandango, that's another thing for another podcast. Because if I go off on them, that's going to be another 15 minutes. So I'm going to keep going. Next up was Big E. Hung around for one second shy of 14 minutes. Got an elimination of his own. And then eliminated by Braun Strowman. 32, Carl Anderson. Hmm. Carl Anderson. Oh, that's right. Luke Gallows was number 21, so you knew Carl Anderson was coming out. 4 minutes, 25, 25 seconds, no eliminations. 33, Apollo Crews. 3 minutes, 26 seconds, eliminated by Randy Orton. Next up, Roderick Strong. Here we go. Somebody from NXT you actually won in there, but he only got 4 minutes, 1 elimination, eliminated by Baron Corbin. Tucker Knight gets 10 minutes. Roderick Strong gets 3 minutes, 59 seconds. That's that's the problem right there. 35, Randy Orton. Who the crowd actually popped for? The crowd did pop for Randy Orton when he came out. He got four eliminations, just under 11 minutes, and then he got eliminated by Elias. Next up, Heath Slater, which you already knew was coming because Rhino came out back at 22. Seven minutes, 38 seconds, no eliminations, gets eliminated by Braun. And number 37, Babatunde. He came out, and I'm like, I don't know who the hell you are. I had to look him up, just former football player, who I think made the Minnesota Vikings practice squad, but not the actual team. And Vince has a thing for taking former football players or bodybuilders. Let's get you into WWE. You got the look that we want, even though you can't do anything else. Ah, we'll teach you everything else. That's what Baba Tunde is. Came out and nobody knew who he was for a good reason for once. I didn't know who he was. 
Five minutes, 53 seconds, no eliminations, eliminated by Braun Strowman. Next up, Baron Corbin gets three eliminations, eliminated by Randy Orton in seven minutes. Yeah, and then number 39, the hit of the Greatest Royal Rumble. The reason everybody's talking about it to this day because of all these memes and videos came out. I'm talking about the big deal, Titus O'Neil, who came down the ramp towards the ring like a bull out of a china shop. And right before he was almost at the ring, his right foot got caught on a little piece of rug or fabric or the wrestling mat or whatever. He went head first right underneath the ring like it was a slip and slide. Corey Graves saw it. He had to pull the microphone off because he was laughing so hard. The announcers were all laughing at him. And he looked like... <laughs> oh, just look up Titus on the greatest role. I'm going to see what I'm talking about. He did a full-on head-over-heels sprint. And one little thing tripped him up. And he went right underneath... All, his whole body went underneath the ring. And he had to find his way back out and then run back in. The, uh, the poor guy. It's a hit, though. He'll be a meme forever. That'll be what he's most known for in his entire career. Four minutes, 42 seconds, no eliminations, but the impact that that uh, that won over all of us in our hearts. Keep doing what you do, Titus. Head over heels. Number 40, Dan Matha. Guy from NXT. Um, I hadn't seen him in, like, three years because he had one, like, one segment where he was talking in the ring and Samoa Joe came out and, like, choked him out in two minutes, and that's the last I saw of him. I thought he got released, but apparently he's still on NXT, probably just working their live events. So he's got to be number 40, and he came out, he got no eliminations, and he was done in two minutes and one second. Number 41, uh, the eventual winner, called it from the start, Braun Strowman, came out, 22 minutes, 14 seconds of his own ring time. New record, 13 eliminations for Braun Strowman, breaking Roman's record of what I think was 12. And he broke Kane's of 11 that Kane had for like 14 years. So Braun Strowman was just a bull in a china shop. You started to realize why a lot of these people were out there was just to be eliminated by Braun Strowman. Let's see. Braun eliminated... He eliminated Big E. He eliminated Heath Slater, Babatunde, Titus O'Neil, Dan Matha, Ty Dillinger, who was the next entry at 42, less than 29 seconds. Once again, criminally criminal what they're doing to Ty Dillinger he got eliminated in just under 30 seconds by Braun next up Kurt Hawkins 20 seconds eliminated by Braun Bobby Lashley came out number 44 he hung around for just under 15 minutes got two eliminations of his own including a co-elimination with Braun Strowman of the next entrant the great Kali who once again was a waste the guy can't even walk shouldn't be doing anything 31 seconds then Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley teamed up to throw him over the top rope Kevin Owens came out at 46 uh, just over 10 minutes, or just under 11. Eventually, no eliminations, gets eliminated by Braun Strowman. Shane McMahon, at 47, comes out, no eliminations, just over 8 minutes, eliminated by Braun Strowman. Shelton Benjamin, at 48, 4 minutes, 23 seconds, zero eliminations, eliminated by the final entrant, Chris Jericho. But before Chris Jericho came out, we had number 49, Big Cass. 7 minutes, 23 seconds. He was the last person to be eliminated by Braun Strowman, but not before he eliminated Daniel Bryan himself, ending Daniel Bryan's run at 1 hour, 16 minutes, and 16 seconds. 
And then number 50, Chris Jericho comes out. 3 minutes, 18 seconds. Got one elimination, which was... He eliminated Shelton Benjamin. And then he got eliminated by Braun Strowman. But, uh, yeah. As I already talked about before, this match... It didn't live up to any of the hype. Sorry. No big surprises. The surprises they had sucked. Nobody wanted to see Hornswoggle. Nobody wanted to see the great Kali. Nobody wanted to see Babatunde. Nobody wanted to see Dan Matha. Nobody wanted to see Hiroki Sumi. And nobody wanted to see these other guys that are actually on the roster be gone. And, and anybody that was in under four minutes outside of Jericho at the end because there just wasn't anybody left. It's like, what's, what was the point? What are you doing to these guys? They just deserve so much more. But uh, WWE got criticized for, you know, having the event without female wrestlers because they can't perform due to the limited rights that women have in, in Saudi Arabia. And this is what Triple H said when he responded to the criticism. I understand that people are questioning it, but you have to understand that every culture is different. And just because you don't agree with a certain aspect of it, it doesn't mean it's not a relevant culture. You can't dictate to a country or religion about how they handle things, but having said that, WWE is at the forefront of a women's evolution in the world, and what you can't do is affect change anywhere by staying away from it. While women are not competing at the event, we have had discussions about that and hope that in the next few years they will be. <laughs> and I'm also reading now that women, the women that were in attendance at the event were only there if they were accompanied by a male guardian. And apparently that alone was a major change because usually events there were only men. So I guess it really is baby steps. And look, I get what Triple H is saying. It's the, uh, the, um, uh, politically correct thing to say or, you know, toe in the corporate line with what Triple H is saying. But he also has to understand where everybody's coming from. Like, he, <laughs> just because you don't agree with it, with a certain aspect of it doesn't mean it's not a relevant culture. Yeah, I get that. But what we're not agreeing with is what should be basic human rights that women don't have in Saudi Arabia. Like, it's not one. It's not just that we don't agree with it. It Everybody shouldn't agree with it. Nobody should agree with it. That should be a basic human right no matter where you are or what country is dictated otherwise. That's the problem. And also... Um, Sami Zayn wasn't in the event. And then I realized that Sami Zayn is of Syrian descent. Part, partly, anyway. I think he's part Canadian, part Syrian. And Saudi Arabia has a strained relationship with the country of Syria right now. So they probably uh, kept Zayn off of the card. Because who knows what would have happened if he came out there and people saw the... Because I think some of the writing on his trunks is in Syrian talking about... I think it just says his name, but... I guess they just wanted to, once again, avoid any tension by, hey, let's, let's not put Sammy on because we don't want to have any Syrian or Saudi Arabian tensions. Let's not put any women on because, well, women can't do anything in this country. And uh, let's just hope the fans just, just buy it. And, well, that was pretty much the greatest Royal Rumble in a nutshell. You know, it was, it was a glorified house show, I thought. Sure, it had some high spots, but... By and large, the show went on way too long. Daniel Bryan did a great showing, obviously going one and going all the way to the end. But uh, I really hope this was a one-and-done event because that crowd did not deserve the show that they got. A lot of those matches 
could have been a lot better, I guess, if given more time. I don't know what they're doing with the tag division as a whole right now. I don't know why Rusev still hasn't gotten his push. I don't know why Cesaro hasn't been a multiple-time world champion at this point. I'm just going off on a tangent now. But it's just under an hour now, so I'm going to wrap this up. This has been Episode 1 of Jerome's Gibberish here on the Anchor app, which will be the new home for my podcast because it's so easy to do. All I'm doing is wearing some headphones and looking up notes I've made on my computer while making this podcast. It can't get much easier than that. And uh, until next time, you guys have a good one.